and welcome to the Art Guy Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse H.S., and with me, as almost always, is Eric Scott Tyler as the consummate co-host. Eric, say hello. How we doing? How we doing? So, this is an episode I wanted to talk about. I called you in straight frustration after hearing a podcast that uh, Tony Collette was on, and Tony Collette... If anybody's unfamiliar, I'm sure everyone that is in interested in genre film or horror movies of the last few years, she was the mother in Hereditary. She was also in this, I'm thinking of Ending Things, this new Kaufman film, the dude who directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He has this new Netflix film, and she was in that, and that has horror undertones, um, but she kind of downplayed it. And it kind of it kind of gaslit my emotions on how actresses and Hollywood in general, and actors and everyone kind of downplay the genre of horror, and how it you know we have horror movies that do extremely well and they don't they aren't on marquee award shows, and I want to talk about the bastardization of the horror genre and why it is uh, still the redheaded stepchild in cinema and what. Maybe our our theories as to why that is. Um, so, I, dating back, I mean, one of the most, uh, just a, a brief overview of the hor- horror history as far as horror cinema goes. You know, one of the most, some of the most landmark films of all time are horror films that were huge, impactful, meaningful films in the industry. You look at Nosferatu. Nosferatu is one of the most revered films of all time. A silent film, you know, 1922. Like, it's, you know, I mean, it's the dawn of modern um, film. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, obviously that movie's super early in the 20s. But, like, even, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, into the, I feel like into the the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Universal, uh, Universal Monsters, of course. Yeah, exactly, and I feel like those are huge, huge movies with with actors that carried like actors and actresses that carried a lot of weight. Obviously, they're still revered to this day. I mean, I think you know, obviously, we've had a lot of people play a lot of uh, you know with the Bella Lugosi and the Lon Chaney Jr. But uh, Boris Karloff, I mean, Vincent Price. I, I would argue that Vincent Price is maybe one of the most uh, you know one of the bigger actors of that era, and um, you know, ninety percent of his work is horror. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you look at those big films and those film, those Universal monster films from the, you know, from the '30s. You know, I think Dracula was what 31, and then I think Wolfman was 41. Maybe Dracula was or 32. I can't remember, but um, yeah, 31 or 32. I want to say 31, but and uh, and I I believe Wolfman was 41. Could be wrong there. But regardless, uh, you know, those films are still revered. You ter- you hear Rick Baker, you hear all these guys talk about you, uh, especially uh, Tom Savini, a uh, special effects artist, who is uh, probably, you know, right there next to Rick Baker as far as two of the most well-known and the most well-respected in, in the uh, makeup effects departments. Um, you know, they talk about how influential those films were to them and the ma- early makeup, practical effects of, of those but um, but the uh, getting back to like I guess the the main case around this, just going back and touching on those landmark films that you know kind of really pumped uh, blood into the genre that we lo- know and love today. You know, in the seventies we started getting exploitation films, but before that we had 
you know, someone and I, and this is this is super important as we're covering Dawn of the Dead this week as well. Um, George Romero is the, <clears throat> I mean, he's the godfather of independent cinema. A hundred percent. I mean, the, literally the torchbearer, his whole career was, you know, everything independent, everything underground. And, uh, like you said, pretty much the, not only the godfather of uh, zombies, but the underground cinema as well. And, you know, he, he. He worked outside of Hollywood most of his career. When he did work in Hollywood, he employed most of his friends and the people that he still worked with. He got to, you know, the the industry got to such a a point where he decided to go make films in Canada in the 2000s as well. He didn't want to work in the Hollywood system. <clears throat> You're talking about, you know, what a landmark film uh, Night of the Living Dead is, 1968 that comes out. Uh, obviously, you know, he was, I mean, you talk about how the genre and people in the genre push boundaries within the film industry, but they are socially, socially, um, aware or, or those movies are super potent and important today when you look at, you know, the casting of Dwayne Jones has been in Night of the Living Dead, and he wasn't cast. Contrary to what people believe, they try to push these weird agendas where they're like, oh, yeah, he, you know, it was written for a black man, and it was cat. George Romero wanted to put a black man in there to, to help them and, and, and do that. But George Romero, uh, half Cuban himself, he, uh, he said something and cleared it, clear, it's cleared it up multiple times despite the rumors persisting. George Romero said it was just a character. It was written. Dwayne came in and he was the best man for the job. He just happened to be black, which kind of set undertones for the commentary that that would that would, you know, persist through 68 with Martin Luther King being assassinated the same year that that film comes out. Uh, and they were actually, I know we've talked about this on this show before, but, you know, they were driving, John Russo and, and George Romero were driving the film to New York from Pencil, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they heard on the radio that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Right, yeah, all those uh, rumors about how that, that role, his role was written for an uh, African-American or a black uh, person was, it's kind of crazy, it's a... Uh, but, like, obviously we know, yeah, Romero said that he just came in and he killed it, so that's why he got the role. But it's just crazy how stuff like that um, kind of gets those rumors start like that, you know what I mean? Like there was some sort of hidden agenda or something like that. Well, I also think people want to – they want to pray – I think when those rumors are started or when someone hears something or they just spout off like they know something and they're honestly uninformed – they they're doing it from a good place. They're trying to say like George did this. He was you know he was a trendsetter. He was doing this, but it speaks more and it's more of a positive light on George. The fact that he said he was the best man for the job. I didn't judge and I didn't go out of my way to hire someone because of their skin color. He came in like any other man of any other skin color came in and was the best man for the job. And that speaks more volumes of George's character than him going out of his way to be like, I'm going to put a black man in this role. But that role of Ben, Dwayne Jones playing Ben, uh, is, you know, the first real true lead black uh, protagonist, like uh, a positive hero type uh, character in a, in a horror or, or in any movie. Oh, for sure. I mean, 
you know, it's sad too because I feel like maybe people outside of uh, the genre don't. Uh, a lot of people, you know, obviously this movie's revered. A lot of people have seen it, but the people who haven't, like, I, like his his character, like even though it wasn't meant to, it, it carries a lot of weight, and I think it speaks volumes for that time. And he, that movie is obviously one of our favorites, of course, but. Uh, his performance uh, is one of the best in that, and it, and it really pushes that film. And it's, it was way ahead of its time. So oh yeah, uh, but so yeah, that, you know. But I mean, that's what we're that's what the point we're trying to drive home here is is horror is looked at as such a uh, uh, you know a, a black eye on the film industry, but socially and politically they push boundaries. <clears throat> and they have in the they have since the six since before then, but like the sixties with Night of the Living Dead, and then and then you have you know uh, Wes Craven comes out, you know, and I'm I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna focus this on the big four because I think the big four of horror are, are are very important and near and dear to us, and if anybody is a is a novice when it comes to horror and you just enjoy uh, horror talk and you're not really novice or, or you're not really all that well uh, equipped with proper, proper information, you're in luck because we have no lives outside of uh, movies and music and, and horror is a, uh, is our uh, slab of uh, pig belly that we throw on the barbecue all the time because that is our forte. That is our plate of choice. Uh, and uh, we're going to cut you up a nice slab of uh, pig belly right here to throw on our barbecue that's known as the Heart God Media Podcast. And with that, let me clue you in on something. The four, the big four, not of thrash metal, but of horror, is, you know, it's George Romero, uh, comes out in 1968, has an amazing career, does the Dead movies, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, Creep Show, uh, Dark Half, a million different movies, and then we have Wes Craven. Wes Craven comes out, you know, he does Last House on the Left, uh, Deadly Blessing, uh, obviously creates one of the most iconic horror figures of all time in Freddy Krueger and does Nightmare on Elm Street, goes on to reinvent the genre again 12 years later in 1996 with, with Scream and reinvents the slasher film. Uh, you have John Carpenter comes out with probably the most famous slasher movie of all time that will probably never be another slasher movie that is bigger and set off a chain of events of slasher films throughout the entire decade of the 1980s with the 1978 release of Halloween. And he he pretty much set the entire 80s. You know, he, he, he started the fire that turned into, uh, you know, the entire... Uh, rolling hills of california blazing in 2020 that was you know the 1980s horror slasher uh extravaganza uh and then of course toby hooper who puts out in 1974 texas chainsaw massacre which is a landmark film independent uh another independent filmmaker uh you know makes this movie that's one of the most successful i i think on paper it's still the most successful independent uh, releases of all time, or at least it was for uh, decades and decades. And Toby Hooper goes on to to do Poltergeist and has several different films that are, you know, he does a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is completely different, but still just as valid and just as entertaining. And Toby Hooper goes on and, and does uh, many other films, uh, The Mangler, uh, just just so so many uh, different Toby Hooper films as well. And those are our big four of horror, if you're not uh, familiar. 
But you talk about just those films. We'll say just the biggest films from each of those filmmakers, Eric. You got George Romero with uh, Night of the Living Dead starting independent cinema in the United States, do having social undertones, uh, be it intentional or not intentional, mostly not intentional. You have Wes Craven that starts out with Last House on the Left, one of the biggest exploitation films of all time, uh, and then creates Freddy Krueger, uh, in 1984 and has, you know, the, the wild success of new line cinema, you know, the house that Freddie built new line cinema. Uh, and then you have Toby Hooper who does Texas Chainsaw Massacre. One of the most revered films of all time for his, it's gritty and, and how horrific it is. And John Carpenter who does Halloween and, and is another trendsetter and, and Everyone, uh, my, Halloween and Michael Myers might still be just as big now as it ever as he ever was. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, those you know, a lot of the people you name from those movies or in uh, that are in those movies or like you know, they're Michael Myers and whatever. Are, I mean, those are iconic figures in movies. Obviously, we know that uh, the people who played the shape of Michael Myers aren't going to win an Oscar or something like that. But if if you show anybody a a picture of Michael Myers, they know who it is. So, I mean, I just named off their biggest movies and not even naming their entire catal- their entire catalogs. Why is horror and then you look you look at the sub the second tier horror directors too. You look at the Joe Dantes who went on to do, you know, more more kid friendly horror films in a sense with gremlins and you know something like uh, horror comedies like the gremlins and and and, and burbs and 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 sci even sci-fi films uh and why do you think so it's safe to say that those four directors that we just named romero carpenter uh hooper and uh uh west craven you know impacted the world of not just horror of cinema period and those movies wildly successful yet there's still this stigma where you know there isn't best horror effects or best effects like when there's best effects like i think the only time rick baker has won i think on television was when he won it for the grinch i don't think he's won on television they haven't televised him winning any other uh, awards uh, that I'm aware of, but like, where's George Romero's lifetime achievement award after he dies in night in night in 2017 at the age of 77? Where is where was Toby Hooper's for what he did for cinema? Where is John Carpenter's for? I mean, they just you know had a sequel to Halloween called Halloween in 2018. That was wildly successful, super merchandised. Again, there's so many companies that are buying licensing to re-merchandise the Halloween franchise. You go anywhere, there's Halloween and Michael Myers stuff everywhere. Where's Where's John Carpenter's uh, Lifetime Achievement Award from these big marquee shows? And why are horror? Why is horror still? Why do you, Why do you think horror is still bastardized and still looked at as like an ugly genre? It's like you know, MTV, it's like MTV would never have a death metal category. Uh, and they're seen as like, you know, it's like the same thing with MTV with, you know, 
you know, metal or death metal, not not necessarily death metal, but just metal in general. There, you have these MTV award shows, uh, maybe not so much anymore, but even back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't a metal category. And you got Metallica that is, like, the biggest metal band in the world, Slayer, these big bands. Why, uh, why is the darker side of things still bastardized? Well, I mean, uh, first and foremost, I think it's, like you just said, I mean, I just think it's it's certain things aren't appealing to the masses. Like, yes, they have big followings, but uh, sadly, still, like when you know you bring up horror movies and obviously with the like metal or dark music, I just think I just yeah, I mean, I just think a lot of it has a stigma, and I think the people who still run the stuff, a lot of it's misunderstood to them, especially in the music in the music aspect of it, but. So I just think one, it's just like the uh, they don't. There's not enough knowledge about the stuff, and, and people just automatically think it's super negative or whatever it may be. So it doesn't, and they think it might not appeal to the masses. Also, I think there's, especially when it comes to like filmmaking and you know the Oscars and stuff like that. Not that I disagree with some of the movies that get picked for an Oscar. I like a lot. I like a lot of them, of course. But I just think. Um, there's a lot of elitism, you know, like a, a very, people are very like elitist and, and they look down upon the genre. And they don't think that it's, uh, that there's maybe that it's a good enough craft. The genre is not good enough to be a part of things. I mean, we know horror movies can make money. I think, I think it's, that's been proven in the last 10 years. I mean, there's been some huge, huge, uh, movies that are bringing in so much money. So I'll hit you with a real quick question. So in 2017, uh, the remake uh, or, uh, you know, uh, a retelling of the Stephen King story adaptation from the book, It, came out in 2017, which is, for all intents and purposes, a remake of the TV miniseries. It was a two-part miniseries. In in 2017, that movie worldwide ended up making $701 million dollars. Seven, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. $701 million. Why did those award shows not say, wow, for the type of genre of film it is, we need to have a Stephen King Lifetime Achievement Award uh, because he wrote this, they did a TV miniseries, but this movie just did $701 million. And, and if you're trying to tell me that uh, the acting in, in, in any of those movies is not great, like if... You know, the, the the character Pennywise obviously is taken as, you know, goofy and stuff. But if you're telling me that Bill Skarsgård uh, is not a good actor for pulling off that role, then you're crazy. I mean, or, you know, with It Chapter 2, obviously we had some bigger actors in that, you know, uh, James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain and, and Bill Hader and stuff. But, uh, yeah, if you're telling me that there's not a, a real craft there and there's not real talent there, then you're, you're, you're insane. It's insane to think that. And... Uh, and you know, I'm just I'm just gonna bounce points off you because I, I I I truly still won't understand even after we're done talking I won't. But Jamie Lee Curtis, arguably one of the biggest actresses in throughout the '90s and everything, got her start in you know one of her first films in John Carpenter's Halloween, and then she appears in the second one. She she goes on to be in things like Trading Places, and that's where she really kind of got kicked off and was in all these films. But she was also in a slasher movie in the early '80s called Terror Train. Uh, she, and throughout the '90s, she's another she's a huge actress. She makes slights and comments about the horror genre, 
But then when it's convenient, she revisits and comes back and, oh, I'll be Laurie Strode again. Oh, people want to love and admire me. I'll shit talk. Uh, I'll shit talk Halloween and being in horror movies in the yeah, 90s when I'm getting know, paid. How, how quickly the old tides turn, you know, when, uh, you know, obviously Halloween has such a, I mean, obviously it's a fucking classic and we love it and it has such a following. And I think some people, I don't know, maybe they're. It's their way of trying to get away from it by badmouthing it, or I don't know what her motive was in that and for that. But uh, obviously, she's she's come back, so she can't. She's come back big. I I can't say that she uh, didn't kill it in the the newest one. But uh, we should actually talk about some of the huge actors and actresses that have been in horror movies. Well, it's pretty ex- insane. I mean, Johnny Depp's very first film is because of Wes Craven's daughter. Wes Craven's daughter said, oh, Dad, you got to cast this guy. He's beautiful. Uh, in Johnny Depp's first film in all of in in all of his entire filmography, his very first film was as Glenn in Nightmare on Elm Street. Starts his goddamn career thanks to Wes Craven's horny-ass daughter. And... And and what does and he's on the like Actors Guild stage or whatever, doing like having a lifetime achievement or whatever in the early two thousands, and they say, "Oh, Johnny, your first uh, your first uh, job in Hollywood was as, uh, in a Wes Craven film in Nightmare on Elm Street," and he's like, "Yeah, I got sucked in through a bed. Not a bad gig. That's not a bad gig. You should be kissing Wes Craven's motherfucking feet." Well, I feel like. I feel like Depp didn't have too much. Ba- I mean, I know I'm pretty sure when like when Craven died, I'm pretty sure Johnny Depp like kind of did some sort of thing to like honor him. And, and I he should have. I don't know. Was that he should have? Yeah, no, I think he. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. If he, he did, can like you send me that? Because I would love to see that. Because that makes me appreciate Depp a little bit more. I have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he did do something. But I just want, yeah. I mean, think about. Let, let's talk. I mean. Brad Pitt in Cutting Class. I mean, yep. You had he was in Tales from the Crypt as well. Triggers Three. What's that? Uh, Brad Pitt was in an early episode of Tales from the Crypt called King of the Road too. There you go. There you go. And then you you know uh, what did I who did I just say? But uh, yeah, Brad Pitt obviously. Oh, Leo DiCaprio in like uh, Triggers Three. Triggers Three. You have uh, Tom Hanks was in an early like slasher film if I if I call correctly. Um, Kevin Bacon. In Friday the 13th. Friday the motherfucking 13th. I mean, Crispin Glover in that. There's, like, so many people. I'm pretty sure George Clooney was in a... What's that movie? Some horror high movie he's in. He was also in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, that's what... Jennifer Aniston in Leprechaun. Yeah. Charlie Theron's in one of the... uh, uh, Children of the Corn movies. Uh, McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next gen. I mean, think about that. That's like, those are huge, huge actors. And uh, I just think that, like, a lot of them getting your start, like, in horror is, I don't know. I just think, like, something you should cherish and, and hold on to and remember your roots. Paul Rudd. Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers. Curse of Michael Myers. I mean, it's just crazy. If it goes on. And then, like I said, even newer, like, you see. You know, in Chapter 2, we've got some big actors, and uh, I think maybe, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's coming around, coming around, but you're starting to see more and more stuff happen like that, where you're getting some, some higher-profile actors getting into horror. I mean, I kind of like that Octavia Spencer, who's in a lot of shit, but she's she's done some cool movies, like uh, 
Obviously, she was in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, that little cameo there. Yep, as the nurse. Uh, she obviously did Ma just a few years ago. Yeah, Ma. I'm pretty sure she's in um, Drag Me to Hell as well, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, it's pretty, I don't know. I just think it's like 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 we're saying, like, that's like a that's a whole rash of, of, of actors and actresses. A-list. A-list, too. Yeah, like, I mean, huge. Uh, Brad Pitt, do you get bigger? Tom Cruise doing that. You know, the remake of The Mummy, I know that's maybe some people wouldn't think that's horror, but obviously. Um, Interview of the Vampire, Tom Cruise did, too. I mean, he Vampire, was already yeah, he was already yeah. huge at that point, but still. Yeah, Brad Pitt as well, Antonio Banderas. But, yeah, the, uh, Leo, these are like A-list actors. These are top of the top. I just think that it's just crazy to think that they would have such a, uh, they would, uh, you know, lift their nose to the to the genre as much as they as much as people do i mean not just them everybody does like but said, but jennifer aniston not. too jennifer aniston like doesn't want to be associated with leprechaun at all it's come out a few times i know they they got in contact with her about doing uh like commentary or, or something or special features on when they re-put out uh all the leprechauns on blu-ray and she wanted nothing to do with it it's like you got there's nothing to be embarrassed about leprechaun you can think it's goofy and like stupid but the effects are amazing in that. It's scary. It's fun. The acting is great. Mark Holton is one of the most underrated actors of all time. And for sure, and, I, and you gotta wonder what like the what the reasoning would be like. It's all really like because you want to be seen as like the A list like fucking celebrity that's paparazzized and, and you're you know you're in the magazines and like the last thing you want to be associated with is like a, a smaller like horror movie and it's just it's uppity stupid hollywood dumb bullshit we got a we got a trademark uh, paparazzized or whatever you say <laughs> i like that even you know what i've even thinking about more like just coming to me but like uh ryan reynolds in the amityville horror remake yeah uh, What's his name there from Thor was in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. So, like, why, like, why, though? Like, why do you think that there is such a stigma? Is it like, is it just because it's not, like, it's not, I, I don't know. Like, it comes down to this, though. And we've had this discussion many times, and I say it countless times. I, I say it so much that I know I sound like a broken record. But there aren't fucking conventions for there's not forrest gump conventions there's not yeah it's not I mean, for, no... like no one gives a f ultimately guess what yes people are like oh my god i love forrest gump i'll watch it if it's on fucking tbs but ultimately no one gives a fuck about those films ultimately no one gives a fuck how many people have forrest gump fucking posters in their fucking house none there ain't fucking one and I love Forrest Gump. It's not a. It's not a slight no, on the film. It's not a slight on the film. I love the film. It's, you're right. I mean, there is no. When it comes to film, there is no more rabid, loyal fan when it, than the horror fan. I mean, it's just the truth. Like you said. I mean, no offense to any other genre, but there's not uh, rom com. Uh, yeah, there's you know, not, dude. I love. I, I mean, live and love and would go to a comedy convention, a comedy movie convention. I love, I live for 80s comedy. I love, my favorite comedian, my favorite comedic actors in the world are John Candy and Eddie Murphy. I love every fucking film that they've pretty much done, except for maybe Norbit. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, Norbit is kind of funny, I'm not going to lie. But anyway, uh, uh, but, you know, there's not fucking comedic, like, they're not doing like, oh, they're doing a comic convention with a Dumb and Dumber reunion with Jeff Daniels and... 
and Jim Carrey. Don't get me wrong. I'll be in that line because I love Dumb and Dumber, and I think Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey are amazing, but there aren't. There's not a rabid fan base for those films. So then why do these Hollywood actors and all the people of Hollywood that are doing nefarious things on islands with the Epsteins of the world, why do they shit on an entire fan base, an entire genre that is so rabid and would defend them at any cost in any of their earlier films that they think aren't up to par, up to code with what their Hollywood lifestyle should be attributed to, like Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey putting the fucking nicks on Scream Factory for trying to put their fucking faces on a special edition Blu-ray. Oh, I don't want our faces on there. It's a fucking horror movie. Fuck you. Suck my uh, million dollar fucking privates. Yeah, I mean, it's blind warping to me. Like, that happened. Know. That happened. They fucking put, a, like, a, a whatever, a cease and desist or whatever you want to call it. They contacted Shout Factory legally and said, we do not want our faces on that cover. Why? Because there's people that give a shit that you were a fucking nothing, you were a couple of nothing happenings? Exactly. I mean, McConaughey, especially because he seems like such a laid back dude, like, why would he even care? I mean, honestly, he might not even, they might not even heard about it. It was probably their dumb fucking publicist that has probably taken $20,000 out of their fucking bank account every week, and they don't notice because it's all all right. He don't fucking know. (laughs) That dude don't fucking know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, getting back to our our point, though, like, yeah, like, I just don't know why it is the way it is. I think it's, it's been completely disrespected throughout the years. Like, obviously, if you look at an era... Someone could say, well, look how many cheesy movies came out in the 80s, cheesy horror movies. But, like, you could say that about any of the genres. Look how many cheesy action movies came out. Yeah. Look how, look how many cheesy comedy movies came out. And, like I said, uh, anybody who says that some of the biggest actors or actresses in horror aren't talented are crazy. And I just think that it's it's just sad that it doesn't get the, the love that it deserves. Because, like you said, like me and you... And, and some of our other close friends, and, and obviously everyone, you know, who goes to the conventions and, and buys the movies still. I mean, we still, we're still buying physical copies of this stuff, and we care, and we're watching the special features, and and we care about what the artwork looks like, you know, and there's a lot of people who don't give a shit about that, but uh, it's in our blood, and I just, it just kills me to, to know that uh, it doesn't get the same respect that I give it, and the same love that I give it, so... But I don't know what the good answer is. I mean, yeah, I mean, people, does it not appeal to the masses? Is it, is it not good enough? Is it, uh, it's a joke to them, but why? I mean, but you know. the, the need to want to do this episode as we're slowly wrapping up over the next few minutes, um, the need to do this episode was when Tony Collette appeared on the Mark Maron podcast and Mark Maron's talking about her new film. And he was talking about how the first half of it, um, it just seemed like a, like horror undertones, and it did. I thought it was going to be a horror movie the first hour, and she's like, "No, not really. I didn't. I, I didn't get that at all." And I was just like, "All right, well, why is she so quick to like dismiss as soon as he mentions the word horror?" And then he's just like, "Well, you were in a you were in a great horror movie called Hereditary," and she's like, "Yeah, but is it really a horror movie? It's like a family drama. Are you f- fuck a witchcraft is family drama?" Yeah, I mean. It's it's uh, that's her not wanting to be associated with horror movies. It's sad, yeah. I mean, there's no way that does that movie have other elements, of course, but it's it's a horror movie. I mean, it's it has everything that is. It's a horror movie. The actor or the director is a horror director. 
uh, you know, uh, one of the new torchbearers of, of that genre and uh, 100% a horror movie. And, and, you know, that movie's she was great in that movie. I don't know She's an amazing wanna, actress. Yeah, I don't know why you would want to downplay it. Because, or, you know, horror steer, is a dirty word to these that, people. I should say. Horror is a dirty word to these people, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting question. I would like to hear from other people, like if anybody's listening to this and and they have some insight of what they what they think. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting to it's an interesting discussion. Why is um, you know why is horrors looked down upon so much? I mean, they, it makes the money. Um, loyal fans. It always kills in theaters. Usually, I mean, because everyone wants to go see a horror movie in theaters. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. People like being scared. I mean. And it's not like there's not uh, there's not talent in that. I mean, these directors, these actors are very talented. So, uh, yeah, and you know, BT told me that someone called The Exorcist a family suspense movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the girl, her fucking head spins and she spits green. I mean, she also does some interesting things with a cross. So I don't think it's a uh, it's a family suspense film, though. Yeah, I don't think there's nothing suspenseful or, or family about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, if anything, uh, if it's not horror, it's a comedy in my eyes. So. But what are you gonna do? We, there's plenty of us fans that are keeping it alive. I just hate that it gets uh, it gets shit upon by the the people that could validate it. Um, continue to shit upon it, and uh, I guess we're just gonna have to fight those people to the end. And I'll do it. Uh, with a smile on my face, um, and very angry still, but with a smile I on think my face. That, you know, like yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, me and you, and and, and you know, our other close friends, we're gonna we're gonna keep doing what we do, keep supporting, keep going to cons, keep buying the physical media, keep watching, keep talking about it on podcasts. So, I mean, whatever we could do to open the world to other people, well, obviously we do that. So, but uh, like I said, it's sad, but. Uh, we both love it, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just grateful for it. 100%. And you can uh, – this episode will be up on Wednesday when you are listening to this. It is a Wednesday. And then uh, Friday, you shall hear not one but two episodes to kick off October this Friday, I will be doing Chud with Mr. Lewis Smith, and we will be doing Dawn of the Dead with – Mr. Eric Scott Tyler, Brian C. Tyler, and Sean Henderson to kick off the month of October. We're covering some heavy hitters, uh, some uh, some real raging bulls for sure, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Our host site is Anchor. Check that out. We are on Instagram at Heart God Media, on Twitter at Heart God Media, and. Uh, while others may downplay and try to bastardize the this glorious and ever-giving and ever-fruitful and ever-fan-filled genre of horror, uh, we'll keep it alive and we'll w- wave the flag and we'll we'll bear the torches. And uh, that's all we really have to say. Here, here.